The Yesterday and Today podcast is a fan-made, not-for-profit, just-for-fun compilation of chronological source materials as they pertain to the Beatles. This show is in no way affiliated with Apple Corps, nor any organization connected to John, Paul, George, or Ringo in any way, though we do consider ourselves premier members of the Bungalow Bill fan club. So kick back, turn off your mind, relax, and download the stream. We hope you will enjoy the show. Yesterday and Today, 1975, Part 1, The Beginning. In this episode, we will cover the month of January. It's 1975. was a heavy year for production activity and talent lending, with George Harrison assisting his Dark Horse group Splinter and promoting the earlier released album Shankar Family and Friends. Paul taking production honors on the music of another hopeful, Mike McGear, who just happens to be McCartney's younger brother. music, you know, of all popular music is based upon how high you jump and how funny your hat is and what colour your shoes are rather than upon, you know, any sort of soul yearning. On Thursday, January 2nd in New York City, in the United States District Court for the Southern District of New York, in the case of John Winston Ono Lennon versus the United States of America, the U.S. District Court Judge Richard Owen dismisses the first complaint on the grounds that John had failed to provide any evidence proving that the government had subjected him to illegal surveillance. At the time when it started the immigration, I was being booked, my phone was being booked, and I was being followed around by cars, but this, this is pre-Watergate, and everybody thought I was crazy. We got the case on that in court, I have to say that. We, we couldn't prove that we were being followed, but it did stop after I went on Dick Cassidy, then everybody vanished. Judge Owen also ruled on the second course of action, alleged that the district director, other officials of the INS, and the immigration judge, prejudge John's applications by routinely denying or not acting upon any such requests other than by exercising each discretionary power as is vested in them. 
His ruling that John had the right to pursue the notion that his deportation was a conspiracy by the government designed to deny his rights guaranteed by the First, Fourth, Fifth, and Ninth Amendments of the Constitution. Thus, Owen grants Lennon's November request permitting Lennon and his attorney, Leon Wilds, access to the U.S. Immigration and Naturalization Services files that deal with John's ongoing deportation case. Lennon is permitted to question the INS officials as well. Owen requested that the parties appear before him on January 9, 1975 at 4.30 p.m. to establish the extent of the initial discovery to be allowed. The U.S. District Court granted Lennon's November request, finally allowing him access to INS documents and officials. In New York on January 7th, film producers Sanford Lieberson and David Putnam approached John with an idea of a film project involving Lennon. Ah, 
They also invite John and May to a special screening this evening of the film Stardust, starring David Essex, Adam Faith, and Larry Hagman. Stardust was the sequel to the 1973 film That'll Be the Day. Over in London on January 9th, in a private hearing regarding the Beatles and Company, the Master in the Chancery Court granted the application requesting formal recognition of the dissolution settlement. And with that decision, the Beatles and Company partnership ceased to exist. This ruling comes four years after Paul McCartney originally requested the partnership be dissolved. Also on this day, back in America, Morris Levy responds to a letter dated December 31, 1974, from Lennon's attorney, Harold Sider, regarding Lennon's rock and roll tapes and legal arrangement. Levy explained that the October 1973 agreement had been breached and was no longer in effect. He went on to say that since that time, Lennon, Harold Sider, and Levy had resolved any issues, and John supplied sufficient material for an album, which Levy would market to the world via TV advertising. Harold Sider and John Lennon take the response and the recordings to Capitol executives in New York, Vice President Al Corey and President Basker Menon. They go over the implied agreement, and John plays them the rock and roll tapes. Corey and Menon recognize the commercial potential and reject the plan of marketing the album on television. I played it round to a few people that weren't me. And they said, I played the record company, I didn't know what to do with it. I said, yeah, I don't know whether to release it even, you know, I've got it off my chest, I've finished it. And they all said, it's all right, it's all right, let's put it out. I said, it's all right, is it? <laughs> okay, we'll put it out. On January 10th, Paul, Linda, and McCartney family leave Heathrow Airport in London en route to New York. A few reporters were on hand in London and asked Paul to comment on yesterday's judgment in the High Court regarding the Beatles agreement. Paul remarks, I'm relieved that the legal links between the Beatles have been separated. Take your picture, cameraman. Can you tell me who I am? I was someone's protege But that was only yesterday You've seen millions come and go I won't pretend I didn't know You don't know and I can't say It's only me Be a star, 
gonna be a star. You are, you are superstar. January 11th, the Wings single Junior's Forum hits number three in the American singles charts, while Dark Horse by George Harrison is right behind reaching number 15. While Paul and Linda visited family in the New York metropolitan area, John, on January 13th, entered the record plant recording studio in New York to produce a couple of tracks for Lori Burton. Lori is producer Roy Chicala's wife, who was recording with the band Dog Soldier. Yeah. 
also produced the track Incantation with Roy. Incantation is a song written by both Roy and John. John's love for the new disco sound of the 1970s, he was excited to work on the arrangement and production of Laurie's track, Answer Me.
That same day, Paul and Linda visited John and May in New York. May Pang. You know, we had been seeing Paul and Linda quite a lot in New York at this point. And John was was feeling good. And having signed, it's kind of weird, but, you know, having signed the contract to, to dissolve the Beatles and it was over, it gave him uh, a newer, you know, a, a, another relationship with the guys, his brothers. Paul invited John to the next Wings recording session that will happen in a few days in New Orleans, Louisiana. He also asked John if he would like to contribute something to it or possibly write something with Paul. John agreed to attend and considered writing. Later in the evening, after the McCartneys left, Lennon made a comment to May that shocked her. Once again, May Pang. He just looked at me one day and, you know, I turned around, I was doing something, and he said, I gotta ask you something. And I said, what? He goes, what do you think if I started to write with Paul again? And I, started, I whipped my head around like the exorcist, you know, here's Linda <laughs> Blair, you know, turn my head and I go, what? what? <laughs> you know, and I said, I think it'd be great. And he said, um, Why? And I said, well, maybe because you two don't have a contract. And on top of that, when you're, when you're solo, you guys are good. But when the two of you are together, there's magic. that You, you can't be beaten. On January 16th, Paul, Linda, Denny Lane, Jimmy McCulloch, and Jeff Britton assemble at Alan Toussaint's Sea Saint Studios in New Orleans, where they begin recordings for their next LP. All right, okay. <laughs> Very good to see you down in New Orleans, man. Yeah, Harry. Yeah, yeah. As similar to when Paul took his band to live and record in Lagos or Nashville to gain musical influence of the area, Paul stays in New Orleans for several weeks in the hopes it will do the same for his next album recordings. He is interviewed upon arrival. No, because mainly we're coming here to kind of make our own album. And I don't like to come to a place and use too much of the local talent. Because uh, you get some people saying, oh, you know, they're making the music. like other people's records. So generally, you know, we keep pretty much to ourselves. Unless there's another special thing we'd, we'd like and then we'd ask someone to uh, help us on that. Now, what about the music here in New Orleans? Uh, instead of you uh, paid a visit uh, incognito to several places, but who are some of the musicians that you might have enjoyed here in New Orleans? Well, we saw Professor play, Professor Longhurst, and he's the greatest, he's a classic. I love it. Well, I'm going to New Orleans. Gonna see the mighty 
king. Courtney's took a break while recording and attend the Mardi Gras festival. We went on uh, Charles Street. They saw the parade on Charles Street. How did you
Great, the music's great, the feel, it's a music city. We had a good time with the carnival, dressed up as clowns. Paul and Linda also perform on stage one evening with the Tuxedo Jazz Band. While Paul and Wings are involved in the Creole atmosphere of New Orleans, back in New York the play Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band on the Road closes due to lawsuits and counter-lawsuits. The lawsuits involved royalty splits between Lennon and McCartney and ATV. On January 19th, still in New York, John was invited to record with David Bowie for his next LP. John seemed artistically energized and accepted the invitation. He was so excited he sent a pun-ridden postcard to Apple's old publicity agent, Derek Taylor. It read, Bowie's Cotton Universe, Let It Beetle. Am I gonna be there by request, of course it, then possibly down to New Orleans to see the McCartneys. It's a long way to tip a Negro. JL. On January 20th, Morris Levy informed Lennon's attorney, Harold Sider, that Adam 8 was making final preparations to release the Lennon album the following week. On the 22nd of January, John returned to the Record Plant Recording Studio where he co-produced another recording session with Ray Chicala for the band Dog Soldier. The tracks mastered were Everyday Living and April Rainbow. Lennon also gave an interview via transatlantic telephone this evening to BBC disc jockey Alan Freeman. The next evening, on January 23rd, John and May attend a premiere of Carmen Moore's Wildfire and Field Songs at the Avery Fisher Hall in Lincoln Center.
Carmen Moore. There were stretches I'd be composing saying I'd write something and, and listen to it and, and, and I'd get embarrassed. I found out, I discovered soon after that, that those are the important parts. That's you, you know. You're, when I would feel embarrassed, I was also uh, in a situation in which uh, I was not defended. The pieces of music was being conducted by Pierre Boulez. Moore recalled the premiere. I had become friends with John Lennon, and at the New York performance, he showed up in the lobby before the performance with Mei Pang. Then Yoko Ono surprisingly shows up from the other direction with some guy. Moore, who was with his wife, goes on to say how John felt out of his element. He said, and then there were six of us in the lobby, downstairs, just before the beginning of the concert. Lennon wore a black suit and an Elvis Lives button that was attached to his lapel. He asked Moore if he looked okay as if he was nervous in front of Yoko and her date. Moore tried to put Lennon at ease and asked him if he has ever been to a symphony concert before, to which Lennon nervously replied no. Go listen to music, turn yourself over to the experience, and, and, and then respond. Moore assured him that he was going to enjoy this. There was some speculation if Yoko knew that John and May were going to be here this evening. And was she trying to make Lennon jealous? On January 27th in America, Apple releases the No-No song by Ringo Starr. Written by Hoyt Axton, this catchy pop song with backing vocals by Harry Nielsen reaches number three in the U.S. Billboard charts. And she held out some marijuana, she said it was the best in all the land. And I said, no, 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 I don't smoke it no more, I'm tired of waking up on the floor. No, thank you, please, it only makes me sneeze. It makes it hard to find the door A woman that I know just came from Mallorca, Spain She smiled because I did not understand Then she held out a ten-pound bag of cocaine She said it was the finest in the land And I said, no, 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 I don't No more, I'm tired of waking up on the floor Thank you, please, it only makes me sneeze Then it makes it hard to find the door A man I know just came from Nashville, Tennessee, oh because I did not understand Then he held out some moonshine whiskey a hole He said it was the best in all the land And, he and I said, no, 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 I don't drink it no more I'm tired of waking up on the floor No, thank you, please, it only makes me sneeze And then it makes it hard to find a door Well, I said, no 
Ringo was enjoying success, turning out albums and singles and running them up the charts. But his personal life seemed to be starting to spiral into violence and chaos, fueled by drink and drugs. His infidelities became more and more frequent. Ringo said of his marriage, quote, I've been a drunk, a wife beater, and an absent father, end quote. He seemed to be heading to an even darker place. like houses where nobody lives Two people each having so much pride inside neither side forgives The angry words spoken in haste such a way of two lives It's my belief pride is the chief cause in the decline in the number of husbands and wives It's my belief pride is the chief cause in the decline in the number of husbands and wives It was John to the rescue as he introduced Ringo to a young model and photographer named Nancy Andrews. I had always dreamed about being a top model. Uh, I was in love with fashion magazines. My mother was a fabulous seamstress and, and she was into fashion. So I was accepted into NYU to study fashion. So that summer, my girlfriend's brother took some pictures of me at the beach and I went over with a little contact, couple of contact sheets in a, in a bikini. Eileen Ford looked at me and she said, okay. She said, let's, let's put a portfolio together for you. Let's get you working. So the next thing I know, I was in 16, mag 16 Magazine. I was on the cover of Mademoiselle. I was suddenly working and making so much money and then doing lots of commercials. In doing that, I was working with the great photographers. Nancy met John in May of last year in Santa Monica during one of Lennon's get-togethers. Here Nancy explains. It's, it's such an odd story. I, I was friends with John Lennon first. John and I, he was with May Pang at the time, he and I clicked. It was a brother-sister thing. I really got him and he got me. And he saw that I was having a hard time with my relationship. He, he said, well, don't go back to New York. Don't model. Come back out here.
Nancy was dating studio musician Carl Rattle, who played bass for Leon Russell and Eric Clapton. She took Lennon's advice, packed up, and moved to L.A., leaving Carl behind. So when I broke up with my boyfriend, I moved to L.A. He, he put me together with Ringo, and uh, he set us up. At first he let Ringo meet me, and a month later, I'm sitting at dinner, the four of us, you know. Ringo's just sort of like, I like you. And I'm going, okay, he's funny, he's cute. But the more he and I got together and discussing photography, he's he, we both had that in common, was photography and film. They immediately started dating. There was only one thing wrong. Ringo and Maureen were still married. In a bitter lawsuit that started in 1973, or as Alan Klein and APCO Industries are suing John Lennon, George Harrison, Ringo Starr, and the Beatles and Company for expenses occurred through his time as manager. In Lennon's case, on Tuesday, January 28th, in the New York Supreme Court, the appellate division unanimously affirmed Judge Samuel Spiegel's 1974 decision, rejecting John's motion to have the case of APCO Industries versus John Lennon dismissed on the basis of form nonconvenience, meaning the court can dismiss the case on the grounds that another court is much better suited. APCO is still seeking damages from Ringo Starr and George Harrison for having done business in the state of New York. George's case is later dismissed while Ringo's is still pending. Also on this day in New York, in a meeting with Al Corey, vice president of Capitol Records, convinces Lennon that an album by an artist of his stature should only be sold and released through commercial channels. John agreed and approved the album's new title, Rock and Roll. Lennon also decided to eliminate two of the Spectre-produced tracks, Angel Baby and this one.
next day, January 29th, John and May attend the new musical by Andy Warhol titled Man on the Moon. It opened at the Little Theater in Manhattan. this whole arrangement. And I think I've kept quiet long enough. I'm the one that's going to explode. When? When? On the moon, soon. I would have tried to make you so hot if I knew you were a bomb. Honest, it's out of my hands. I've been programmed by Von Brown, and I feel Ernie's magnet pulled me back to the spaceship. Listen, I agree with you and try to talk him out of it, but I don't think he's ever disobeyed in order to his life. Going to the moon? Going to the moon and I'll never see him again and I love him. On this day, Lennon tells May that he saw Yoko and she invited him to the Dakota for the weekend. He tells her, quote, Yoko has a cure for my smoking. This is the end of civilization as we know it today. <laughs> Relax, darlings. Obviously this Von Braun chap is just bullied for her the end of all this. We'll just follow him to the moon and change his mind. John assured May that it would just be for the weekend and not to worry. recalls John's short-term agenda which includes a brief trip with her to Montauk, Long Island before they were to leave to New Orleans and visit the McCartneys. Then upon returning to New York, John was planning to finish mastering the Oldies album and begin pre-production on a new recording project. Memory, oh memory, release me from your spell. Today is all I need to know. Why do you have to hold me when I thought I'd let you go? Last year, 1950s and 60s recording artist Neil Sedaka had released a comeback album titled Sedaka's Back. On the LP was a track called The Immigrant. It's a song he dedicated to Lennon. Today, on January 30th, John spoke via telephone from May's apartment with Jim Kerr of New York's WPLJ-FM radio about the song and how flattered he was. Here we pick up the broadcast as it aired. Kerr is interviewing Neil Sedaka while his staff is trying to get John on the telephone. One, your Pubidor Triumph. 
Thank you. And number two, uh, finally being the person to convince me to buy a new television set. Oh, that, that is a wild story. Yeah, I, I, I didn't realize how many people watched the Dick Clark show, including John Lennon. <laughs> <laughs> American Bandstand is great. People watch it all the time. Yeah. They really do. And I saw you sing The Immigrant on it. Mm -hmm. And I remember when you were here at the station several weeks ago and we were talking about the album and I told you that I really loved that song and I understand it's the new single. Yes, it is, Jim. I thank you very much. I appreciate uh, all of you that you've done on the station. Uh, it is the new single, that's great, and we are uh, dedicating it, as a matter of fact, to John Lennon. What's the uh, story behind that? Well, I have gotten to know John and uh, I gotten to love him as not only as a musician but as a person and totally sympathize with his plight and what he's been going through and uh, not only is he a great contribution to pop music and innovator and um, you can't say quite enough with John Lennon I mean he's uh, he's just uh, been an inspiration to me and I felt that um, I would like to dedicate the immigrant to him and to his uh, uh, what has happened to him in the last couple of years. Well, there was a time when strangers were welcome here, and let's hope that in John Lennon's case, that time comes back. Uh, I hope It would so. really be nice. What are you going to do now? I understand you're going to Europe. Yes, I'm leaving in, in about uh, a couple of hours for England. I have a concert tour in England. I'm going to do uh, some of the concert halls. February 12th to about March the 15th, we end at the Festival Hall with the Royal Philharmonic Orchestra. Mm. And uh, then I'll probably be back by May the 1st. I'm going to sail home on the QE2, which is one of my favorite pastimes. And then uh, we'll probably be home uh, beginning of May, and I'm going to be doing some... Uh, New York gigs and some concerts in America finally after all these years. Well, I do want to see you when you come back to town. Great. And uh, thank you for taking out the time to talk with us and have a great trip, okay? Thank you, Jim. John Lennon. WPLJ. I'm going to call him up. Get his reaction. We'll talk with him in a few minutes, okay? Here's number nine dreams.
from the album Walls and Bridges. That's John Lennon at WPLJ with number nine dream. And we'll hear from John in just a few minutes. It's time for the news with Bob Ortiz, and it's time for me to go down to the cafeteria. Bob, you want anything? Not this morning, thank you. When they came back from the news break, John was already on the line. Hiya. I'm doing okay. I was just talking with Neil Sedaka a few minutes ago. Yeah. And uh, we talked about his new record, The Immigrant. Isn't that a surprise? And I was wondering what you thought of it. It's a song dedicated to you. I know. I think it's beautiful. I only found out yesterday. And, uh... I knew the song because I think I saw him do it on Dick Clark. I've seen him sing it somewhere. I knew it. Right, it was on American Bandstand Saturday. Yeah, right, right. Oh, was it only that that soon? Mm-hmm. Well, I had the album, so I, I sort of vaguely knew the song too, you know. Well, the and thing he called me and told me about it, right? Right. And I couldn't believe it. I said, really? Oh, that's beautiful. You know? well, that... Normally people call you and they want something, right? Very <laughs> <laughs> seldom somebody calls you and gives you something. I just think for him to do it, you know, it's just beautiful. Well, that's exciting too, especially from an artist of his caliber. He was around making hit records when uh, you were hanging out on the Liverpool alleys. You bet he was. I mean, I, I know his early work very well, you know. I mean, the, I don't know what air they have in Brooklyn, but they certainly breed them out there, don't they? <laughs> you know, I mean, there's a lot of writers and stars come out of that place. Well, I'm gonna, I just think it's really great. You know? I'm going to play the record for the people on the radio so they can hear it. And uh, as far as your, your legal battles go, is everything going along? I read in the newspaper a few days ago that uh, you were going to be able to have your representatives go through the government's files. Yeah, well, my instinct on that is they must have got rid of them. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what my lawyer says about it. You know? Okay, well, John, thank you so much. It's a real pleasure, Jim. Here's the song. Neil Sedaka at WPLJ in New York City. This is for John. It's the immigrant. Robbers open their arms to the young searching foreigner. Come to live in the light of the beacon of liberty. Plains and open skies. Billboards would advertise. Was it anything like that when you arrived? Dreamboats carried the future to the heart of America People were waiting in line for a place He once heard a legend 
mystical, magical land of America. There was a time when strangers were welcome here. Music would play, they tell me the days were sweet and clear. It was a sweeter tune, and there was so Song for John Lennon by Neil Sedaka. It's called The Immigrant. This is WPLJ. It's 8.05, sunny and cold today, high 30 to 35, clear and cold tonight with a low around 20, and then fair tomorrow with a high in the mid 30s. Right now, 25 degrees outside. Later in the day, Lennon's attorney, Harold Sider, met with Morris Levy to inform him that John's rock and roll album would not be issued in a television campaign as Morris planned. He went on to say that Capitol Records would be issuing the album directly through distributorship. Morris Levy responded that he would be releasing the album on TV as originally agreed to, and will use the tapes Lennon provided. Sider said that they will serve an injunction to hold that release if necessary. On Friday, January 31st at May's apartment in New York, John packs his bag to spend the weekend at the Dakota with Yoko. She insists she can cure me of smoking, he says. According to May Pang, when John returned, their relationship seemed to change dramatically. Here May explains that day. I had a bad feel because she was so insistent on having him come that day. You know, you always have, you, you got your gut feeling and you just have, you, you just roll with it. And I did and I, and I told him and he said, there's nothing to worry about, don't worry. And he said, listen, I'll be home uh, this evening. Let's go out for a nice dinner, wherever you want to go. And then uh, let's make plans and uh, get ready to go see Paul and Linda down in New Orleans. And as he's walking out the door and I'm sitting there thinking, oh, my God, I, could just, I, I just did not like the feeling. And um, she wouldn't let me speak to him. It was, it was a whole, you know, it was a whole control thing at, over the weekend. One, two, one, two, three, four.
time I did get to see him, I looked at him and he looked strange. And I said, what actually happened? He goes, I don't know. He goes, I drank some tea. I was throwing up and, you know, and then all of a sudden something, and he couldn't even explain it. And all he could say was, Yoko's allowed me to come home. And I thought, hmm, interesting. Interesting choice of words. So I'll just leave it from there. I think everybody else can, you know, make up your mind. Just don't think it was, you know, I don't think now, in hindsight, it was just only hypnotism, but I think that was part of it. Although May was home still with John, she kept wondering what had really happened over the weekend. Meanwhile, down in New Orleans... Paul McCartney is experiencing his own type of abandonment. Wings drummer Jeff Britton, after recording most tracks for the new Wings LP, packs up and leaves the band. Were you disappointed at uh, the number of personnel changes that happened in the band, though? Yeah, I mean, you know, you like to think that if you get a band, you'll just can get happy with each other and the chemistry will work and stuff. Oh, well, how's that, Jeff? That's good for me, Lloyd. Like, that's good right for you, Jeff. Oh, what do you think of that, Jeff? How's that, Jeffrey? Jeff Britton left Wings, making it the major 70s group with the highest turnover of personnel. Yeah, there were a few personnel changes in there. Various people were, were leaving, we'd have arguments and stuff. But um, that's bands. Linda McCartney said in an interview later that it just wasn't right. It just didn't gel. And it was horrible because we really wanted it to work. How'd you like that, Jeffrey? I thought it was all right, that myself. What is that for you, Jeffrey? Rumors started surrounding the departure of Jeff Britton. Some concluded that he was forced out because he would not party like the rest of the band. Denny Lane's girlfriend and future wife Jojo believes that Britton was a lovely guy. He was too straight for wings. Unlike the other band members, Britton did not smoke marijuana and seldom partied. He was always the designated driver. Other rumors stated that he wasn't fond of guitarist Jimmy McCulloch. Whether you believe the rumors that he was forced out, or he wasn't fond of Jimmy, or he just didn't fancy partying as hard as the others, Jeff stated in an interview that it was he who decided to leave the band. It must be a minute break. I hope so. Yeah. Cool down a bit. Round it up. Listen to the grits. Yeah? Let's get a break, Paul, can we? Yeah. It's a funny band, Wings, Britton said at the time. From a musician's point of view, it's a privilege to do it. From a career point of view, it's madness. No matter how good you are, you're always in the shadow of Paul. Denny Lane. Paul was very, very famous, you know, probably the most famous person in the world. And um, you're up against that. It's just a natural phenomenon that you have to deal with. So therefore, there can't be that equality that you think being in the band is all about, you know. But even in any band, even an unknown band, there's always one person or two people that run the band. You know, whether it be like <laughs> Freddie Mercury and Brian May or, you know, Paul and John, you know, Mick and Keith. There's always that. Or Brian in the old days. But, you know, it's kind of a quality comes from what you want to put into it, I, I would think. Britton told the British press that when he joined the group, he was promised royalties in, quote, telephone numbers, unquote, meaning seven figures. But all that he saw was a scale wage with session fees and bonuses. We all have ups and downs. We have all, everybody has needs for different things, you know. And it's down to us. It's, it's up to us to make choices. You know, I, I did all right. There were also other reasons why Jeff left the band. He had said in a later interview, We were all in the States and my wife started talking separation and divorce. 
I came home to sort it out, Britton recalled. In retrospect, it would have been better to try to keep both things going, but I had to consider that wings would one day be over, and my marriage was a lifelong thing. Paul scurried to find the replacement for Jeff. He found that replacement in a drummer from Rochester, New York, Joe English. So we ended up in New Orleans with the current lineup, because Joe came in. He was uh, just rehearsing to go on tour with Bonnie Bramlett, and he found himself a depth for Bonnie, and he came to play with us. And uh, it's been sort of on since then, really. Coming up in a moment. John gets back to his roots. There's so many great songs, you know, and they all, most of them I sang when I was 15, 16. And uh, they just come back to you when you start doing them again. Even if you rearrange them, you know, the words or the inflections come back. And it was really deja vu for me. Reunion rumors take over music industry talk. A new drummer for Wings. We get rid of uh, a drummer called Jeff Britton, and who's English, and get in a drummer called Joe English, who's American. And Wings wanders to other planets. Next on Yesterday on Today. Or to contact the show, visit yesterdayandtodaypodcast.wordpress.com or email at yesterdayandtodaypodcast at gmail.com. Also visit at yesterdaypod on Twitter and search Yesterday and Today Podcast on Facebook. See you next time. Paul Kaminsky. I'm James Kaminsky. And I'm Wayne Kaminsky. And we bring you the Kaminsky family of podcasts Yesterday and Today and the Third Men podcast. You might know me from one of those dumb voices I do, or my dad (laughs) from his better show than ours. (laughs) Wow. And we're here to tell you about some cool merchandise you can pick up for the shows. As we mentioned in each episode, we do not in any way profit from these shows whatsoever, but to break even on some expenses, we have put up some cool merch that you can pick up to help support the show. Yes, some fun apparel, things you can put on yourself. Are we going to be selling Marks and Spence underwear? (laughs) Don't worry, we will. (laughs) You can head to our social media pages, that's facebook.com slash yesterdayandtodaypodcast or facebook.com slash thirdmen or you could head to society6.com slash kaminskyfamilypodcast that's society, the number six, dot com slash K-A-M-I-N-S-K-I Family Podcasts. Yeah, keep our lights on. I'm in the dark. Dad, any words of wisdom? Hello? The lights just went out. (laughs) Guys, we need your help. (laughs) Buy stuff. Perhaps a coffee mug that you can enjoy a beverage out of while listening to our shows. And if you haven't got yours, please send forth in and get a free one. All right. (laughs) Thank you, Dad. All right. We'll see you on the podcast, folks. Bye. It's audio. You can't see me.